Millville, Atlantic City, 97.3 ESPN. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Josh Jennings filling in for Mike Gill along with Hunter Brody here on 97.3 ESPN, the Sports Bash. We got to talk some Sixers, got to talk some NBA because every Thursday, Daryl Reynolds joins the show. Villanova national champion and the man who himself predicted Jay Wright right here last week wouldn't take the job. Well, yesterday, Jay Wright only affirmed and confirmed what D-Ray said last week on the Sports Bash here on 97.3 ESPN. He joins us now on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Daryl, I think we can add prognosticator to your resume now. <laughs> I was about to say, man, it's me and Woj. You got the inside scoop. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, you had it before Woj did. How about that? <laughs> nah, man, I'm just kidding. I, I, I knew that because, like I said, he, he told me so many times how happy he is at Nova. And, you know, he's taught us as a team not to mess with happy, and that's where he's happy at. So he's going to stay there. So with that being said now, and now that Steve Nash is going to the Nets, it feels like a lot of different doors are opening potentially for the Sixers head coaching position. So I'll ask you, of all the names that have been shucked out there, are any of those names you think the best fits or most appropriate for the 76ers now that some other names have been taken off the board? I got to be honest. At the one point, I thought Tyron Lue, um, and, you know, I, I thought he would be good because he is really a player's coach. But I don't think this team has that leader um, out there enough to, to have a, a player's coach. I feel like this team kind of needs somebody a little bit more stern. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, part of the issue was what can Brett Brown get them to do and what can't Brett Brown get them to do. So I think a lot of things with them just come down to the fact that it's like they need – I'm not going to say Greg Popovich, but they need a coach that, that has a little, a little bit heavier hand than, than Brett Brown. It's interesting you say that because I felt the reason one of the reasons why I like Ty Lewis because he was known in Cleveland as a guy who got on players very hard, that he was one of the few guys LeBron would let him be criticized, and that he was a guy who would get on Kyrie and be give him tough love. So I felt that Ty Lue, his history, at least in, in my perception, is that he will get on guys and he's not afraid to get in a player's face and tell him you're making a mistake here. I gotta be honest, I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I can admit I didn't know that information. After hearing that, I feel a little bit better about it. I got to be honest, I didn't know that about Tyron Lue. I didn't get that sense from watching them. I didn't feel that when they would, like, cut to, like, the side camera or whatever, and, you know, you would see him in a huddle. But if he's the type of guy, and they will listen to him, because at the end of the day, it's like, call it what it is, he has a ring. You know what I mean? He was there. He knows what it takes. Um, several times, you know, not only as a player, but as a coach. So if they'll listen to him and he'll, they'll rally around him, I'm all for it. Return of the King by uh, Brian Windhorst and Dave McMenamin. They detail that in the book. So that's your uh, book recommendation there for the weekend. How about that? Yeah, D-Ray has some reading to do on on the book. I didn't read the book, but I will say this. That's why I feel like it's so hard to kind of look at these coaching hires and assume what you're going to get. Like, it's all speculation. Sometimes when you make trades, I know this year we got sucked down the road thinking that Al Horford and Tobias would work, but, you know, with, with trades, you know what these players are. You've seen them play in certain spots. With some of these coaching hires, you just really don't know what you're going to get. You don't know what you're going to get.
what you're going to get out of what the Brooklyn Nets just did. You didn't know what Jason Kidd was going to be like when he first started his coaching career. Like you, you honestly don't know. And that's why if we do maybe go down the road as a Sixers organization with maybe an assistant coach off of another organization, I'm okay with that because who's to say he won't work out? I just feel people get so tied in with names of people when in reality we just don't know until we see the product. At all, at all, man. You, that's spot on. Like, it's, it's so many ways the coaching thing is like it has to be more of a perfect match than the players because the players is more of them. The coach is one guy. You know what I mean? Like, you can have clicks within a team and the team still function. You can have the team kind of be split on certain things. They still play together. You can have a team that, you know, it's a bunch of guys that just understand, listen, this is business, and they get the job done. But as a coach, like, all of those players have to look to you and trust you. And when you add that in the equation, that's when things get a little difficult. That's why I said I really don't know who it could be. If y'all know anybody, I would love to hear them. But right now it's just – if Tyron Lue can be that guy, I, w- I would love that. I love how that looks. I love that story behind that. But I also don't know. You know what I mean? How he meshes with this group of guys versus Cleveland. You mentioned that a team can be successful with clicks and guys not always get along. I-, I had someone tell me about a week or so ago, they were very insistent that they feel like they're – you know, players have to get along. The guys have to be friends with each other. And I'm I'm leaning toward what you're saying because I feel like, you know, you could be professional on the court or on the field, but you don't have to be best friends off the court. And maybe that's where, as you're saying, the head coach gets involved. And that, like Phil Jackson did in Chicago and L.A., he's kind of the guy who bridges the gap. You know, why do you think some people feel like that people have to be friends in order to be successful in pro sports? I mean, I, I think it adds. And I think when we hear stories about that, just naturally gravitate towards those stories a little bit more. Um, you know what I mean? It just, it, it's a feel-good story, let's be honest. The thing about sports is really the beauty of it is it brings so many different types of people together. So you love to hear that cherry on top. But I think it's more of an extra credit thing, if anything. You know what I mean? It doesn't mean that you can't get an A without that those couple points. It's just, all right, if you win a championship, a.k.a. get an A, and then on top of that, the guys get along, it's good. But, I mean, if we learn nothing from Kobe and Shaq, you know what I mean, it, it shows that, listen, we ain't got to be BFFs. You know what I mean? If we understand and we get out on that floor that both of us are going to be professional and take care of business, and I can trust you in a business standpoint, and I'm talking as a guy who's been on some teams like that at every level, like, it is what it is. You know what I mean? Not everybody's going to get along, but like you said, that coach kind of has to be even more than the glue guy who's a player, that glue to bring everybody in and get everybody on the same page. I want to get your thoughts on Joel Embiid's Twitter, okay? Because it's a hot topic right now. Here he is tweeting if, dot, dot, dot. He's tweeting Jimmy Butler, hashtag too good. He's tweeting I'm still really unhappy, and then we come to realize that that's about the Mountain Dew commercial. But during the time of a Jimmy Butler game when the Miami Heat are playing the Bucks, it's it's not a great look, right? Let's be realistic. Do you think that he needs to – is this part of the maturity that we talk about with Embiid, or is it okay for him to have a little bit of fun? Nah, 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 nah. The way that just ended, I, I don't agree with a little bit of fun thing at all. I'm not saying you got to be moping and sad and soppy, you know what I mean, and, and pretending as if, like, you're so distraught and all that. I understand. You know, you know another season coming up, next play, next day. You got to move on. But with him in particular, just like, no. You know what I mean? That's, that's not okay. It, it doesn't really make sense. It's not a good look. I understand that he did his job, but, like, the Sixers lost. And he's in a Sixers jersey, and I don't know. I feel like laying low would be the thing. And the fact that it's so many times you go back to the question of his maturity. I'm not saying you in particular, bro. I'm saying like in general, 
if we go back to this idea of he's mature enough as a player, like it's kind of an issue. You know what I mean? Because you, you, we're getting to the point. I think we all know it that all right, they're going to bring in a new coach, cool. But there's a part of everybody wondering if this thing is going to work with everybody in this cast. You know what I mean? And it's more of a question of all right, well, if you had to get rid of somebody, who would it be or who is the thing? And I feel like when Joel B does things like that, he gives people who look at him as that issue that much more of an uh, argument. Well, you can't label Broads with that, but you can label me with that because I've questioned Joel Embiid's maturity for about three, four years now. And there, yeah, I, I, I just I just don't understand. Is that something where, you know, we all heard, all heard the stories of other athletes, you know, they don't have the right people around them. Like, you know, the whole um, Antoine Walker situation was infamous, right, or Lamar Odom. But is that something where the people around Joel Embiid are maybe too much yes people and not enough critical people around it be like, hey, Joel, maybe you shouldn't be doing this or that? Is that come down to the player maybe not having the right people in his inner circle? Uh, I, yeah, saying no. At the end of the day, you got to be accountable and be a grown man. You know what I mean? It's only so much people can kind of do for you. But I think it definitely does have something to do with his inner circle. But like I said, at the end of the day, you got to want to make that decision. Um, and as much as I hate to admit this, like LeBron's probably the best example of it. Like since he's been fourteen, since he's fourteen years old, he's been under the spotlight. He's kind of understood what that comes with. And has he been perfect with it? No. But like I don't sense that LeBron needs somebody to really do PR for LeBron. You know what I mean? I feel like it's just a maturity that's that's on the guy, not so much of their inner circle. Because you got inner circle that's warning somebody against everything, and they still make those decisions. Well, we brought up Jimmy Butler. I want to get your thoughts on the Heat being up 2-0. Some ugly foul calls laid on both sides yesterday. Middleton got fouled shooting a three. Jimmy Butler got fouled with zero seconds left. He won the game. I want to get your thoughts on how Jimmy Butler is playing and and Giannis as well. Uh, Jimmy Butler is is playing out of his mind, man. Jimmy Butler is shutting a lot of us up. I got to be honest. It's good to see. So in that sense, I respect Joel for admitting it. Just you ain't got to do it publicly. You know what I mean? You got his number. You can text him. Um, but yeah, no, Jimmy Butler's playing out of his mind. And he's a clicker. I got to be honest, they're, they're kind of like a, a sleeper team. Like they have all this young talent, and you, you expect it to be a couple of years, and you expect them to, uh, to you know, kind of put things together. But I think if anything, this season is kind of a nod to Jimmy Butler's uh, leadership and kind of glue-like skills. He's doing with them essentially what he did with the Sixers. He's taking a bunch of young guys, a couple of veteran guys who understand the game, and taking them to another level. And the way he's playing is great being at the helm of that. Daryl Reynolds joining us here on the Boardwalk on the Hotline here on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Follow him on Twitter at D-Ray, the director. And, and talking about that, you know, Tim Legler was on the Sports Bash a couple of weeks ago, and he was telling Mike Gill and Hunter Brody about the fact that, you know, he feels that the Heat are some of the best coach team in all the NBA, period. So, in that, in, in that sense, you know, is that a reflection as well on the things we're talking about? That is, the coach can have that kind of influence, but also doesn't it take the star like a Jimmy Butler to say, if I'm buying and everyone else needs to buy in? I think both of those things help. I don't think it's necessarily, you know, congruent, but I definitely think those things happen in that order uh, makes it a lot harder to fall out of line. But Eric Spoelstra is known to be that guy. The three guys, when I think of that style of coaching, like three guys who really have uh, the control slash the respect slash the intangibles that an NBA coach needs to uh, succeed is Doc Rivers, uh, Eric Spoelstra, and Greg Popovich. You know what I mean? Like those are the three names that I think of as far as the standard of coaching and how guys should carry their teams and 
the respect that's given, but also reciprocated. Like year in and year out, it's been those three guys. Um, but obviously, you know, none of those three guys are looking for a job right now. They kind of need the new age version of that. And like you said, if Tyron Lue is kind of pseudo version of that, I think he'd absolutely be the best choice for the Sixers. But if not, they they, they got to figure it out because they need somebody in there. I'm not saying with a heavy hand, they don't need a dictator, but they need somebody in there who, like you said, a situation like that with Joel Embiid can kind of pull him to the side and say, listen, this is what it is. Because obviously the veterans aren't getting through the line. I got to ask you about Richard Jefferson calling Giannis Pippen instead of Jordan. Your thoughts? I'm not going to lie. I, I retweeted that. And sorry, bros, I didn't answer your question when you asked that uh, about Giannis. You asked about Jimmy Butler and Giannis. Uh, I will entertain that. I'm not going to lie. I will entertain that. I, I will go as far to entertain that. I, I think that is a very interesting dynamic. Um, and not because his game is limited, because he's definitely growing every year. But it's just, I've, I've said it to bros. I've said it on process. I've said it before, like, it's something about the Bucks just they they seem see through. I can't really put my finger on it, but something about them just I, I'm not convinced. You know what I mean? Like I I never, you know I love them. They're a great team, but it's like it's kind of how we would watch the Clippers back in the day when they had CP3 and DeAndre Jordan and Blake Griffin. You would watch it all regular season. It's like oh, this is good. This is good. This is good. And it's something about it would just never make it there in the playoffs. That's how I feel about them. Like it just it doesn't seem real. Before we let you go, I'll counter with this. I don't think it's ironic that Jimmy Butler is now 30 years old and he's the one that's stepping up for the Miami Heat. Giannis is 25, yeah. and, and I, I always claim, look, that 27 to 33 range, that's when players truly step up if they are going to take a team and be the guy. So it's not an excuse. I just think that people need to realize how much there is when it comes to growing and developing in the postseason, and maybe Giannis isn't there yet. But that's not to say when he's age 30 that he can't be doing it. But patience is a hard thing to ask when it comes to sports fans, of course. Absolutely. I mean, it's because the money these guys are being paid. Let's call it what it is. People expect that those dollars get put on the table and these tape, these players are just going to mature. And I mean, it's a few guys have. I think Jamal Murray is the prime example of a guy who got paid and took it to another level completely. You know what I mean? And there's, I think those would make like great players great players, the guys who it doesn't matter what that paycheck looks like. They just keep evolving and keep getting better. Um, but like you said, as sports fans, we kind of expect it now, now, now. I don't know about Giannis being there when he's 30. Um, I'm very interested because his career is just its very unique. I don't think we've ever seen anything like it. So I would hope for that. But like I said, I would at least entertain the idea of maybe there's some other guy. But I see what you're saying completely. I, I could 100% see him being 30 and being like a pseudo – Kevin Garnett slash Kobe style like leader and player in general, it would just be unstoppable. That I think that would be the best basketball player of all time because he definitely has the mentality. Daryl Rollins is now just going on TK and like morphing players into each other and creating a new character <laughs> for like you know, my player mode over here. He's like morphing like four different guys together. <laughs> hey man, Listen, that's what's happening. Everybody ain't never. There's no more originals, you know what I mean? Everybody's kind of a hybrid of several things. Even LeBron is Magic Johnson with, I don't know, a jump shot. Whoever the hell you want to say has an okay jump shot. You know what I mean? Like, these guys are different. These new players are different. And Giannis is kind of at the helm of And like you said, bro, he's only 25. Who knows what he's going to be in a couple of years. Follow me on Twitter, D. Ray, the director. Daryl Reynolds, national champion. Villanova joins the Sports Bash every Thursday, and as all guests, he appeared on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Daryl, 
Hope you have a great weekend. I will catch up with you next week. All right, folks. Talk to you all next week, man. It looks like we have a little bit of some breaking news, Josh. Oh, really? In regards to the Eagles. In the Eagles. I don't know if you're going to be happy. I'm getting the sense I'm not going to be. I'll just say this. It's not another injury, which is good news. Okay, well, I'll, I'll, I can work with it then. I'm, I'm, a little less, uh, I'm a little less nervous. How about that? But it has to do with one of your star players. Not an injury. has to do with the star player. All right, color me intrigued. How about that? We'll get to that on the other side. He's Hunter Brody. I'm Josh Hennig. This is the Sports Bash here on 97.3 ESPN. Don't forget Sports Bash being brought to you by GMS Law. Make the right call with four convenient locations to serve you. Visit them online at gmslaw.com. There's never an off-season. Sports Bash here on 97.3 ESPN. Josh Hennig filling in for Mike Gill. PlaySugarHouse.com. Text board is open. 609-403-0973. We'll get to your text a little bit later. Also, don't forget, Ask Broads and Josh coming up at 4.30. Following football for Adam Kaplan. A lot to talk about with him, especially with this latest Eagles news that just dropped, Hunter. Yeah, it's interesting. So, Ian Rappaport is tweeting that negotiations between the Eagles and tight end Zach Ertz came to an abrupt halt when Philadelphia made an offer that had less guaranteed money than their offer in November. The backloaded offer also had less cash over the next four seasons annually than Austin Hooper's contract. Then Mike Kay chimed in of NJ.com and said that it should be noted that Ertz and Hooper have the same agent. So he should have a very good understanding of said comparison. So that's where I want to start. So I think, first of all, because of the information that Mike K put out there, clarifies Rappaport's, no offense, who his source is, which is probably the agent. So the agent is probably the source of this information. And usually when an agent puts out information, it's because he's trying to force something to happen. So even though Rappaport is saying... That, you know, a come to an abrupt halt doesn't mean they can't pick it up again. Right. Well, let's let's start simple. As an Eagles fan, does this concern you? Are you okay? There's still a couple years left on the deal, so it's not like Zach Ertz is ready to walk out. But there has been some speculation that if this gets to the last part of his deal, he might have to pull some sort of Malcolm Jenkins or any other player in this league where they say, I'm not playing on this last year. So a couple things you brought up there. Number one... I'm not overly concerned because how professional Ertz is. True. I think Ertz's professionalism is a huge part of his success in Philadelphia, but also what he will do as a result of this. He's not going to go out there and blast the Eagles in the media. He's not going to go out there and give half effort. He's still going to go out there and do you know do his job and do it very well. The second side that you talked about, guys holding out, I don't think the agent puts this out there but theoretically, as I'm theorizing, to be reported as being confirmed now by multiple people if there wasn't a, a, you know, a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. Like, you know, you don't put out there that talks have abruptly stopped just because they stopped. Like, you're putting it out there because maybe you're trying to regenerate the conversations to restart. I don't think Ertz is telling his agent, that's it, I'm done in Philadelphia. No, I think that there's an attitude of, I want this deal to get done at some point, and maybe it didn't get done on September 3rd, but there's still 
a desire by both sides to make a deal get done. So maybe it's just an issue of trying to clarify some of the numbers and putting that information out there maybe puts into the public's ears about what's going on a little bit behind the scenes and do as a tactic to maybe force the other side to maybe negotiate a little differently. And we can all agree that Zach Ertz just has that vibe of he's a eagle for life kind of guy, right? So that's something to add into the equation. But is it weird that Howie Roseman now has less guaranteed money on the table compared to their offer in November? Is no. it weird that the Eagles no, went not. down that road? No, it's not. And here's why. I brought this up a couple of years ago with the Khalil Mack situation. And everybody gave me the stink eye when I first Well, I'm giving it. you the stink eye. Okay, well, no, I'll come up and I'll stink just, it up in your stink eye right kidding. here. Go ahead. Now, remember, when you guarantee money, that means you have to take that money immediately and put it in escrow. So, if, for example, if the Eagles gave Zachary's new contract right now and said that, let's say it's a three-year extension with $50 million guaranteed. I'm not saying that's actual numbers, but I'm just throwing out there. The moment Zach Ertz signs that contract, they have to take that $50 million and put it into an escrow account. The Eagles can, no NFL team is allowed to guarantee you money and then the money not be there later. That's a huge reason why the Raiders traded Cleo Mack because the Raiders didn't have enough money on hand to put in escrow because they were trying to move the football team. They didn't have the advertiser money to cover their back-end costs. I have to wonder in this COVID-19 environment what teams have guaranteed money on hand and which ones don't. Don't forget, when you win the Super Bowl, you know how much extra money you make? How much extra money you have to put away, to save, to use? I'm not saying the Eagles are broke, but the Eagles have other guaranteed monies to take care of as well. Maybe the Eagles, without saying it, are saying... We want to pay you, but by putting money on the back end of the contract is our way of maybe working around some of the money crunch that we're in because of the other contracts we have. I can't believe you just said the Eagles were broke. But no, here's the the <laughs> back <laughs> the backloaded offer also had less cash over the next four seasons annually Guaranteed than Austin cash. than Austin Hooper's. Right. I just don't understand how you would think that this would be in play, or, or maybe they honestly put this on the table knowing. Look, this really doesn't have a shot, but this is where we're starting. Because you know, you offer low, they offer high, you meet in the I, middle I somewhere. I think the second point is what it is. I think it's this is a starting point. This is not a final offer. This is not a our best offer. This is just a, here. here's where we're coming in at this moment. Let's work from here kind of offer. And you know what? Maybe Ertz and his agent were a little put off by it because the agent knows what Austin Hooper was offered. And maybe that's part of the reason why it was, quote-unquote, shut down abruptly, as the report says. For me, I'm not too worried because I think the deal will get done because Howie Rosen always finds a way to get these deals done. I think that if there's maybe some more fluid conversations, you know, maybe you could actually you know, get somewhere before the end of the year. I'm not going to you know, hope for that, though. I think that this deal gets done in the offseason. It's hard for me to sit here today and go, oh, this is so concerning. I don't think that they find a way to keep Zach Ertz. Uh, I feel like there is sometimes a fascination because you remember how Howie Roseman was speaking before to the media and he was talking about how they need to get younger. And then there was this big culture shift with all Eagles fans that if you're over the age of 33, let's say, you got to get rid of everybody and you need to start getting younger at every single position. There are some guys that are going to play 
deeper than 30 on the Philadelphia Eagles. There are going to be some guys that are lifers, right? There's going to be guys that you don't get rid of just because he's at a certain age. And it does have that sense. And maybe we are wrong. Maybe they they do find a way the last uh, year of his contract to get rid of him because they can't come together. But I find that hard to believe. We just have that sense that Zach Ertz is going to be here. So it's hard for me to to get too upset about anything that we're hearing right now. I would qualify this as an interesting development, not a end of the world or a bad news, but it's an interesting step in what's going on. Let's not forget that. Remember when Aaron Donald was holding out and in the end, he got the hugest, largest, most money of any defensive player ever at the time that the record's been broken by now. But the point is, is that just because you don't get the deal done the first go around in negotiations doesn't mean you don't get your money in the end. As you said, Hunter, I think that there might be something said this is a starting point and not a best offer situation. And we'll see how it plays out. It's Now, let's go down this road. Do you think it would be smart for the Eagles to trade one of these tight ends? Like, Do you think that keeping Goddard and Ertz is the way to go? I, I, think, it, I think it is smart. I know Gil and I go back and forth sometimes about, well, do they want to play 12 personnel or do they play 12 personnel because that's what they get. Well, when you make a move to draft someone like Dallas Goddard, when you know you already have Zach Ertz, that's telling me, well, this player is so good that we're we, like we want we want to utilize that because we went up and got someone like that, and it's clearly effective. I think the tight end is now being added to all of these rosters, and the tight end is now that new powerful weapon that you utilize in these great schemes. And to have two of them, it's only an added bonus. I, I don't know. I mean, I would I would like having both is my answer, but I want to get your opinion on what they should do with these two tight ends. Well, first of all, I think you want to keep as many good players in your team for as long as you can, period. doesn't matter if it's tight end, wide receiver, running back. I don't think you ever want to get rid of good players just because there's too many of them. We're not quarterbacks here. You can play multiple guys on the field at once. So, to me, I say keep Ertz and Goddard together as long as you possibly can because you never want to give up good players. With that being said, I also understand that there is a perception that the Eagles went and got this guy to potentially be the replacement for Ertz in the future because he is several years younger than Ertz. I think that, as you just said, though, the league is going toward more tight end. Because remember, the, there's different evolution stages of football. Every couple of years, there's an adjustment that somebody makes that cancels out something else, right? So the latest adjustment was the Lamar Jackson offense in Baltimore. And now teams are adjusting defensively to how to deal with those situations, right? How do you deal with the running quarterback system. And then what did the Ravens do? The Ravens adjustment was, we're just going to put three tight ends who all can catch the ball on the field. When the next adjustment is going to be defenses saying, well, we're going to stop quarterbacks running at all, right? So what's going to be the next offensive adjustment? Every team now is going to get a double tight end. Look what's going on in Tampa. They didn't sign Gronk just because his name is Gronk because now they got three tight ends down there. The Eagles have two tight ends. Every team is going to eventually have multiple tight ends. And eventually, when teams make the adjustment to deal with tight ends, guess what? By then, Zach Ertz will probably be 35-36. And that's when you move on from him. And you keep Ertz and you move on. Uh, sorry, you keep Goddard and you move on from Ertz or however it'll work. So I think that this is part of the Eagles wanting to be ahead of the curve instead of reacting to the curve. 
Now, there's a lot of reaction going on to this Ian Rappaport tweet, which should not be surprising at all. But Naturally. It does seem like, you know, there, there are some people out there who look at this and question, uh-oh, you know, they question, what's going on here? Should we be more concerned? And I sit here right now, and I don't change my opinion at all. I still think that they find a way to do this. I don't think it's time right now at this very moment to start freaking out about Zach Ertz's contract. I think the injuries are a big-time problem. I think left tackle and this offensive line is a big issue right now. I'm not trying to make it seem or I'm not trying to dismiss the fact that Zach Ertz is an important player in this organization, but if you want to talk about this upcoming season that starts in, what, nine days or so? I think that there's a, a lot more to look at than just Zach Ertz's contract, which I feel confident they either they either figure it out or they get value back. I mean, it, it's going to be one of the two options. I am more concerned about Matt Pryor playing left tackle than I am about Zach Ertz's Definitely. contract. Definitely. If, if they do trade Zach Ertz because they're not willing to pay him and all that, I mean, I'm not totally 100% against that. I just need to see what is in return for me to judge what the Eagles did. So it's not like if they do get rid of Zach Ertz down the road, I'm going to cry about it. I think you can still be in a great position to succeed without him with Dallas Goddard and whatever you get back from him. We'll talk more about this with Adam Kaplan coming up at Football at 4, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast coming up about 26 minutes from now. Sports Bash being brought to you by Matt Blackia. Matt Blackia wants to get you approved today. That's Matt Blackia on the Black Horse Pike. In Egg Harbor Township. Headlines next. Josh Hennig here filling in for Mike Gill on the Sports Special. SPN. Sports Bash 973 ESPN. I'm Josh Hennig filling in for Mike Gill. I just want to remind you that coming up, Adam Kaplan, football at four. We'll get more into the Zach Ertz stuff with him. Also, Dave Weinberg has covered the Eagles for over 26 years. He'll join us coming up at 5.15 tonight. Of course, ask Josh and Bros or Bros and Josh or whoever you want to put first. I don't really care. As I told Jason Fitz yesterday, I'd rather, you know, I'm, I'm a team guy. You know, I like to work with the team, so I don't care whose name's first on it. You want to ask us a question, 609-403-0973. And, of course, we know that headlines being brought to you by DraftKings. Absolutely. Football is back. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting new users in the center of the action with a free $101 bet when they place a bet of at least $10 on the Kansas City Chiefs versus Houston game Thursday night. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code 973 for this touchdown of an offer. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey only. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Let's start with some football. Leonard Fournette heading to Tampa Bay. Are you believing in what Tampa Bay is putting together down there? I believe in what Bruce Arians and Tom Brady are doing. I don't believe in the Leonard Fournette experiment, though. I think Fournette is going to... Does, it, does it hurt, though? It doesn't hurt. No, no, no. It doesn't hurt. But no, nothing wrong with adding depth. But I think this is more about lighting a fire under Ronald Jones. Because... Bruce Arians came out and said, oh, Jones is still our number one back. Well, you don't bring in a fourth overall pick from the NFL draft, the guy who has rushed for 1,000 yards a couple times, unless maybe you're looking at your number one back and saying, hey, just to let you know, you don't do your job, there's someone sitting behind you to take your job. How about what Leonard Fournette did at LSU? Those runs lowering the shoulder, putting guys down. Listen, it was he insane. did that in the NFL too. The Steelers game a couple years ago. 
when he was just going truck mode everybody and just saying, come get some. I'm just trying to picture myself in those moments. If I had the ball, I see a gaping hole on my left side. Bang, I hit the cut. Here we go. I, I cut over. I hit the gap. Nice. Lower the shoulder. I fly back 10 yards. But the problem with Fournette isn't the talent. The problem is the head. Sure. You know, he's had issues with teammates. He's had issues with other teammates. Remember the whole fight with the Bills situation? I mean, the, the guy is a bit been of a malcontent. Bang, been banged up as well. He's been banged up too, but he's a bit of a malcontent. And I think that if you're the Jaguars, you look at him and say... Do we want to keep this guy who's a bit of a malcontent or someone who's similar in talent in Raquel Armstead, Millville's own, by the way, and say, I'll keep the younger guy who's a little bit less expensive, who's a little bit less of a trouble? Do you sense, though, that maybe the presence of Tom Brady might put someone like Leonard Fournette in a different headspace? Like, hold on, I'm playing for Tom Brady right now. This is a different oh, scenario. It, it definitely does. There's definitely something to be said about the fact that if you play with Tom Brady, Tom Brady's gonna if you're not if you're not in your role, he'll put you in your place, kind of thing. And by the way, I think the fact the rest of the team is bought into Tom is important too. Because the rest of the team will back Tom up. I don't think there's anybody on that team will take Leonard Fournette's side over Tom Brady, you know what I mean? Do you think they win the division? Because look, there's always that team every year, right, that gets a ton of hype, and everyone talks about them being this dominating force. Hell, it was the Sixers this year, right? It was the Celtics the year before. Like, there's always that team that gets a ton of hype. The Cleveland Browns had a ton of hype. Sure, but they this is different, though. It, it, well, that's where I want to get to. Do you? Why do you think that it is different? Because it's Tom Brady. Because it's Bruce Arians. But it's because Tom it's Brady a, at what part of his career? Doesn't matter. It, Tom Brady will not throw 30 interceptions like Jameis Winston did you last year. You didn't like that. No! <laughs> Dude, I am anti-interception guy. Okay, I'm sorry. You know, people get mad at me when I bring up Carson Wentz. You know, Carson Wentz only thrown seven interceptions each of the last three years. People are like, oh, I don't want to hear that. Yeah, the Carson Wentz haters. But seriously, you throw interceptions, you're literally wasting offensive possessions. And I think, listen, if Wentz did only threw half of those interceptions last year, the Bucks might have won two more games. You know what's funny? You, you you bring up the 30 interception thing. And the other day, some of my uh, college roommates from when I was there, they're still there. And they moved out of the, the apartment that we lived in at the time. So they were sending us videos like it was called The Stable. So like, oh, rest in peace, The Stable. We're moving out. This is the last thing ever that we're going to be in here. And they found a sports talk with Broads, which you can find on 97.3 ESPN, by the way, after every Philadelphia sporting games. But... They found a Sports Talk with Broge notebook, an original notebook from 2016. And that was the year Jameis Winston went 9-7 and seven with the Bucks, and they opened it up. And the first thing on the first page was, Jameis Winston looks legit. And when he just said the 30 interception thing, I'm like, oh, damn, we got to rip that page right out of the notebook. Is that, now, is that, do you feel like that's your most infamous mistake? No, no. Saying, I mean, look, it was his second year in the league. He goes nine and seven after having a six and ten season. But it's hard to rate a, a rookie quarterback after their first season in the NFL. So after his first year, they go nine and seven in sixteen games. The guy, look, he looks good. You know what I mean? It wasn't like he looked like a complete dumpster fire. But no, is is that he did have eighteen? Uh, how many interceptions did he have that year? Eighteen. But he had twenty eight touchdowns. 
But uh, no, was Jameis Winston in his second year the worst thing I've ever said? Probably not. Okay, I was just curious. Is there one that stands out to you though? It's like I, pro- not me personally. Like, is there something oh, that stood that, out to I, you? A I take have one. that bothers you. Listen, the, the, there's two takes that are the greatest bad takes I ever had. Okay, let's hear it. So, very young Josh was getting high and mighty on himself because I was. Uh, I got a couple things right in my very young days. You know, there's all kinds of tapes and books in my attic of me making sports predictions at the age of 12 and 13, you know. But, you know, you start getting a little high and mighty. And I thought that Caden McNown of UCLA, who was in the same draft as Donovan McNabb, was going to be a really good NFL quarterback, you know, because that draft was, you know, I was all anti-Tim Couch. I was pro-McNabb. I was anti-Achilles Smith. So, you know, the first couple of picks I was good about. But I thought that Cade McNown was going to be a better quarterback than Dante Culpepper. Man, was I wrong. Man, I was dumb. That was a dumb move. I mean, Cade McNown wasn't just bad. I mean, he was out of the league in two years. You know what's funny, though? For, look, when you do this business, you're going to be right, you're going to be wrong. That's reality, right? For the amount of times as you're right, though, there's going to be people out there that specifically dial in on that take and make it seem like you know nothing because of that one take <laughs> while you're right about so many other things. I just, I like the highlight when I'm like so off. Oh, sure. It's funny. Because oh, no, like, no. it's I like. I thought Josh Rosen was going to be better than he has been. So did I. Has he really gotten like a legitimate But he hasn't chance? gotten a chance. That's my point. Like, But is he not getting a chance? Uh, look, I'm just playing both sides even though I'm on the take of I thought he was going to be better. Is there a reason why he's not getting the chance? Do well, they I, see something we don't see? No, no, no. I, I think it's a, I think it's. He was in a horrible situation in Arizona. He went to a, another bad situation in Miami that needed him to do things that he couldn't do, which was save the franchise. Guess what? He's not that kind of guy. Look, I, I thought he was going to be a much better quarterback than he is now, and I think that he still has a chance to be a good quarterback, and I think that and I'm not saying that he's going to be you know, a, a top 10 quarterback per se, but I think if his coach was Sean McVay or Kyle Shanahan, Things would be different than if his coach was Brian Flores, who's a defensive-minded coach, or um, oh, who is the coach in um, Steve Dagnabbit? Who is the coach in Arizona that one year? Nah, that's going to bother me. i got to look it up. Well, while you do that, I will say that I don't know, because going back to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, how we started this thing, if they beat the Saints out for the division. I don't know if they're going to win the division. Steve Wilkes. Steve Wilkes, that's right. He's one year, right? Yeah. And then they got rid of him. Afterwards. Right, and they that's got right. rid of Rosen, too. Yep. yep. So, right. I mean, you, you have two coaches who are not really known for developing quarterbacks. They have no experience right. developing quarterbacks compared to someone like Kyle Shanahan or Sean McVay or Doug Peterson or fill in the blank. I think that would be a very different situation. You know, like, no, it's if definitely you, fair. I think if, if Mitchell Trubisky and Josh Rosen swap places, I think Josh Rosen would be a little better than Trubisky right now and maybe they don't have to bring in Nick Foles I was going to say do you think Josh Rosen is someone that outplays Nick Foles and they don't even need to I, I don't know I, I don't know it's interesting. I think he definitely outplays Mitch Trubisky I think he outplays Trubisky I don't know if it's enough of an upgrade over Nick Foles at this point only, I, only time will tell yeah, though how Nick Foles plays this season if he goes back to his Super Bowl type run that he had you know, but in reality, stats will tell you he's more so the average Nick Foles than he is that awesome 2017 Nick Foles. Correct. Now, going back to that question, though, Buccaneers winning the division. You think they win the division over, say, the Saints or Carolina when you got Matt Rule over there doing Definitely a little bit over of Definitely Carolina. Okay. I, don't, I don't think Carolina has enough firepower. Um, I think it's Christian McCaffrey and the and the uh, the band, you know, kind of things like the, you know, he's a, 
it's a uh, Gladys Knight and the Pips, you know, it's uh <laughs> it's uh Harold Melvin the Blue Notes, you know. I don't it's... think the Buccaneers are going to be bad, but I, I don't know if they're getting too much hype. Maybe a I... 9 and 7, 10 and 6 type team. Here's what I think is going to happen. I think the Bucks start out a little slow cuz they're still adjusting to playing together, but around like end of October, early November, they're going to go on like on a super hot streak and carry them into the postseason, and they're going to wreck havoc in the postseason. So they might not win the division because they might start out a little slow, but they're if they face the Saints in January, They'll beat the Saints in January. Ooh, where's the game at? Well, I guess it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Well, well no, that's not necessarily true. We need to hear what type of places okay, you are going to have yes. fans and no fans. No, no, you're right. You're right because we are seeing that some NFL stadiums are going to have fans to start the year, and others are not. And you know, there's. There, I was listening to a podcast. They talk about the fact that if you look at the parts of the country that are decreasing in their COVID numbers, there's a common factor. None of them are college campuses. So in, in areas where there's not a bunch of young people gathering, the COVID numbers are getting better and better across the country. But it's places like Tuscaloosa in Alabama that are having the problem. While Birmingham, Alabama doesn't have that problem. So, you know, maybe by the time we get to December and January, maybe you can have a 50% capacity stadium. It does seem like it's trending in the right direction as we're starting to open up restaurants and gyms and things of that nature to go inside. So only time will tell, but it does seem like it's going in the right direction. A couple other NFL headlines that we can dive into. This one slid under the radar. Logan Ryan signed with the Giants, and he was out on the market for a long time. He's someone who's been in the league that, you know, he, he definitely deserves to be on a roster without a doubt. Do you think that this changes much for the Giants? Do you think this is a good fit for them? Do you like Logan Ryan? It's a great fit because, number one, the Giants' defense is among the worst personnel in the NFL. You guys had Jordan Ronan on last week. Remember, by the way, if you missed the Sports Bash NFC East preview special, you can go check it out at 97.3 ESPN.com. But Giants sport and Jordan Ronan said that the Giants have some of the worst defensive personnel in the league. So Logan Ryan is up upgrade over practically anybody. But I think also he's a veteran and he's a guy who can walk in that locker room and maybe guide the young guys a little bit. You know, I, I, I've talked to Emery Hunt in the past from The Athletic and he goes and covers the Giants a lot. And he's always told me, he said that the problem for the Giants is a leadership issue because he would say after Eli Manning, he says nobody really knows who the leader is on that team. Logan Ryan, I think, fills that void. It's so interesting, though, that he was on the market for so long, don't you think? Because he's a slot corner. And there's there's a more of a need right now for outside corners and slot corners. As as soon as Nikel Roby Coleman went off the market, teams started looking around and be like, well, we don't need another slot corner. Yeah, unless you're Nicole Roby Coleman. That's why the Eagles got him so early as they did, because they had to get him off the market before someone else snagged him. Teams need outside corners more because the problem right now in the league is that there's not enough cornerbacks who can play both zone and man. There's only guys who can play either one. Like, for example, Byron Maxwell plays better zone than man, as we found out here in Philadelphia, right? Richard Sherman is a better zone corner than Just man gonna corner. Just going to bring that up. He does not like when you say that, though. He gets real feisty when I you say care. he only plays zone. He can only do zone. No, no, not only, but he's better at one than the other. And it's very obvious in the game tape. And it's not just me. It's the Greg Cosells of the world. It's the guys who study tape. You know, um, as Sal Palantonio on the NFL matchup show, right? You know, how many times does Sal Pal bring up, well, on the matchup show, we did, well, I watched that matchup show, and I see 
Matt Bowen and all those guys. Lou Riddick's been on there. They all say the same thing. Lou Riddick played quarterback in the NFL, and if he's saying it, Richard Sherman, shut up and do your job. He takes it to heart, though. That, that's fine, though. I want competitors out there on the field that hears that and that pisses yeah, them the off, There's a difference between being a competitor and being a little sensitive. No, I disagree. He, I like that. He's, he's being a little sensitive. I disagree. I mean, look at the type of year that he had this year, though. If, if, he if had that's, a great year. If that's what fuels him, though. But he's also in a defense that complements his skill set. Sure. that's But isn't that what all the... If, that's what you want out of a good organization, though. That's what good organizations do. They make sure that your players are in a scheme that bets that best benefits them. But also, you have to understand that some guys just can't do certain things, and I think that sometimes we we ask guys to do things that just not their skill set. Yeah, but if I'm if I'm a fan, like I'm not some diehard fan of Richard Sherman or anything, but I do like the fact that he takes that to heart and he lets you. Listen, feel, I agree with you. Than, I say, love Joe, his competitive yeah. nature, but sometimes he gets a little. He gets a little hurt over things that he needs to get hurt over. I'm okay with it. I'll take that for what he gives you. See, there's a difference between, say, Joel Embiid, who might get a little hurt and emotional off people saying things, and then Richard Sherman. There's two different levels here of getting hurt over something. Embiid, he really takes it to heart. He takes it differently, and, and he's sensitive. Nick Pavetta, sensitive. Those type of guys, sensitive. With Richard Sherman... Okay, maybe he's a little sensitive, but guess what? He backs it up with his play to a different level. He's been doing it for a long damn time. I'll give you that. Not disagreeing, just, you know, taking a little different angle on it. He's Hunter Brody. I'm Josh Henning, filling in for Mike Gill on the Sports Bash. Coming up next, Adam Kaplan. Football at four, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Zach Ertz. Eagles, 53-man roster. They got a lot of decisions to make. Adam will get into all that and more coming up today as well. Also, Ask Bros and Josh.